Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 134. Today we have Elena Schwartz. That's Elena, A-L-A-I-N as a Nancy A. Schwartz, S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. And all of that.com is her website. Um, Elena Schwartz is very dynamic and fabulous <laughs> uh, business and mindset coach. Uh, also paradigm shifter. We talked a lot about all that stuff today, like really in-depth uh, topic. And she is very, very articulate and to the point with some some great, great principles that she shared with us. And uh, we just, we talked a little bit about icebergs. We touched just the tip of the iceberg with this topic today, but some really in-depth uh, material. She talks about how in it, from a business standpoint too, it's, it's really only 20% strategy and really 80% psychology. And she helps people with both. Um, so that's real important to keep in mind. But we talked about living your purpose and scarcity and abundance and uh, all these uh, other, you know, principles about affirmations and, and getting our psychology right and becoming friends with ourselves. And uh, anyway, just to give you kind of a rough idea, but also stick around to the end of the podcast because she has a special offer for uh, a few select of our listeners. Um, and so there should be a link in the show notes for that as well. But uh, she'll talk about that towards the end. Uh, so stick around for that. And uh, I want to remind you, as always, before we jump into that interview, you are absolutely priceless. You know the drill by now, but it's not just a drill. This is something that we need to be reminded of just like if we're playing an instrument, we need to constantly be retuning the guitar or the piano or whatever it is. Uh, things get out of tune and we need to remind ourselves of this because the world can sometimes uh, shift some of that the wrong direction. When I say priceless, I mean above the worldly monetary systems. I mean without price. You're above all of that. And no matter what anything uh, goes on in your world or people say or do or whatever around us, uh, that won't change. This is an unchanging state. And along with that, uh, also unchanging is you are never alone. Please don't uh, convince yourself, con yourself otherwise to believe that you are because uh, you can reach out, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. Like I've always said, you can reach out to me, info at empowerhumans.com and empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, just, just know that you're not alone. If you get to a dark place, uh, there's a lot of things I could touch on I don't want to get into right now, but a lot of us have experienced a lot of dark things this year and in various ways. Um, I've, I've seen people lose their lives uh, in various ways this year, including through COVID and other things and uh, just other large and small scale versions of darkness. But through it all, uh, light also exists and we can find that. And on that topic, uh, just again, you're priceless, you're not alone. And moving along is in terms of the light topic, uh, I want to remind you, study, keep studying, start studying, whatever your situation is. Have you been studying? What have you been doing? Uh, share that with me. Go comment on Instagram. Go send me an email. Uh, let me know what you've been studying. That might give you some accountability as well. Not that you're accountable to me, but uh, be accountable with yourself and the email will be kind of a formality of that. But there's so many resources, we don't have really any excuses, right? <laughs> there's, there's apps galore, there's Audible, there's books galore. Um, some of the libraries are reopening uh, in various places, uh, but we also have these apps, Hoopla Digital, Libby, that uh, here in Las Vegas, where I am currently, uh, that's what they use tying into the local Clark County library system. But you might have that elsewhere, but tons of great audiobooks. That's what I like. I love audiobooks and uh, whatever resonates with you. But find something to study, keep yourself in tune and in the light, so to speak. And the second challenge, of course, make great moments. We're just coming through the holiday season and uh, starting a new year. 
uh, bright, bright hopes with all the dark, kind of unexpected nonsense of 2020. Um, I think a lot of good can come from this. And I don't just say that as some kind of cliche nonsense either, but um, let's make great moments in 2021. Let's be more united as a species, as a human family, if you will. Can we dare use the word family? Uh, We're so united and our lives interrelated in so many ways. And yet oftentimes we kind of force this thing that no, we're not. But uh, you know what? We are. Sorry. Sorry to break the news to you. But sorry, not sorry. We actually are. Let's make great moments with each other, with strangers, especially loved ones. Um, Let them know that they matter. Make them matter and show that in various ways. Again, surprise and leave a note and uh, whatever else, the flowers and the candy and all those things, those are kind of physical gift manifestations, but just a hug and a shoulder to lean on in some way, literally or figuratively, uh, is another way to make great moments. You know, one way I made great moments this last uh, week um, is that uh, towards the end, actually, of the school semester, you'll probably be listening to this in January, but, uh, you know, finals and stuff, my son's in sixth grade, he got behind in one of his classes. Sorry, Sean, I know that uh, that might be a little embarrassing, but that's I did that when I was in sixth grade because you get in the middle school and it's like, oh, it's kind of a whole new world, You're a little more responsibility, uh, but I got to sit and help help him uh, kind of stay on track and reorganize and get some of this stuff turned in. You know, God bless his teacher for letting him turn things in. But we got to spend time together. At first, I was a little uh, kind of upset, but that faded quickly because I realized, you know what, we're spending time together, and I'm going to look back on this and realize it was a great thing. Not patting myself on the back or him or anybody. It's just uh, let's look at opportunities to spend quality, meaningful time, even if it's catching up on work that they got behind on. Turn that into quality experience. Uh, anyway, all kinds of little stories we could get to, but make great moments. And the last challenge, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together. I can't uh, say enough great things about Elena here. Uh, ElenaSchwartz.com, A-L-A-I, and as a Nancy A, Schwartz.com. And of course, listen to the end for her special offer and uh, touch it on all kinds of things from strategy to psychology. And she has uh, quite the background. So uh, without further ado, here is our conversation with the one and only Elena Schwartz. Here we go. We are pleased as heck to welcome Elena Schwartz today. Elena is a business and mindset coach. Also, we were just talking paradigm shifter and uh, a lot of wonderful hats that you wear, lifting and helping people. Elena, how how are we doing today? I'm so great. Thanks so much, Phil. It's, It's really an honor to be here with you today. Yeah, it's a privilege for us too. And Elena and I met kind of haphazardly through LinkedIn. Well, one could say haphazardly, but for me, it was very, like, I I really like to network uh, a lot on LinkedIn. I really like to create meaningful relationships and provide as much value as possible. So it wasn't quite so haphazard for me. Well, yes, my apologies. We'll scratch the word haphazard. It's Friday. I'm being a little wacky here in Vegas. You're coming to us from, uh, from upstate New York, right? You guys just got a bunch of snow. We did. We just got 18 inches of snow uh, yesterday, and it's 18 degrees, 18 inches. Yeah. So the magic number 18 today. Yeah. Yeah, on the 18th. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, yeah. perfect. Today is. I was just looking at my my clock here that says, "Hey, it's the 18th." It's kind of weird. A little alignment, and then uh, Monday, I think, is the winter solstice. Right. So we got an alignment there. So yes. <laughs> yeah. Shortest day of the year, and yes. then it's all uphill till summer. Uh, Exactly. So I want to get into all this stuff. I want to get into your background. I want to get into some of your philosophy and the excellent material that you share as a coach. Um, let, in fact, let's start a little bit with some of your background. Uh, what, what 
this is kind of a broad question, so you can go any direction you want, but uh, let's go back and bring it forward. <laughs> where where did this start for you? Tell me about your, I always like to hear people's family situation because I always feel like sometimes that's that dictates a little their direction in life too. But what would you like to share as far as your background getting to this place? Uh, that's a really great question. Uh, so just because you opened it up, I normally don't go this far back, but I'll go back to college for me. Okay. When, when I, uh, my major originally in college, I was a psych major. Uh, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. And one of the things that I found in the program that I was in is they really wanted me to pick a school of thought. And I was a very eclectic thinker. I wanted to pull a little bit from here and a little bit from there and, mm-hmm. you know, make my own type of thing. But I was really being urged to pick a school of thought of like, what was I really going to focus on? And I became very disheartened with the program and started to explore other majors because I wasn't uh, really, no pun intended, but psyched about that. So, um, and I, you know, explored business and I I literally dropped all my credits in one semester. And then I, they started the school I was at, started this new program called, um, Uh, legal studies. And most of it was history, but there were some pre-law classes. And there were two pre-law classes, one a moot court and one a a mock trial. And I excelled at both of them. I essentially won both of them. And um, But what I was really fascinated by was the truth. I was a a total truth seeker. And I had a bunch of professors Mm -hmm. that really were interested in telling history like it was rather than like the storybooks would like us (laughs) to know it as. And I, that was the direction I was going to go. And my parents applied the right pressure in the right way. And I ended up in law school. <laughs> so I was a lawyer in the music industry for 18 years in New York City. Yeah. And my career, I, I had a you know multiple six-figure practice. And my career culminated as me being the executive vice president of the largest independent music company in the world at the time. And when I got to that level of success, not only did it make me physically ill, and I think part of the reason it made me physically ill is because I wasn't living my purpose, but I was also working 60 to 80 hours a week. And I realized I was finally able to cop to the fact that being a lawyer in the first place was really my parents' agenda. It wasn't mine. I never liked doing it. And I mean, I guess if you had to be a lawyer, being in the music industry was, you know, a great gig to have. Um, But it was never really anything I was ever passionate about. And so I literally walked away without a plan, without a sense of what to do, because my, you know, I was creating, my, my body was just breaking down. I was having all kinds of autoimmune issues. I couldn't hold pregnancies. I just kept miscarrying. And I just walked away from it and went in search of and just started to explore all my passions in life. And, you know, most of them are kind of in the healing modalities. A lot of my personal passions, you know, nutrition and various mm-hmm. different healing modes and things like that. And then I smacked right dab in the middle of what I will call a dark night of the soul. Some people might call that a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And for me, it did happen at midlife, but I also have clients who it can happen in their 30s or 60s. So it's, you know, it's something, it's kind of one of those uh, come to Jesus moments where it, it's ageless. 
And it happened for me. And I was in this living hell watching all the structures of my life collapse, watching this really sweet nest egg I had turn into, you know, almost $100,000 in debt, my marriage falling apart, my relationship with my son getting difficult. Mm. As I said, my, you know, walking away from my identity as a lawyer, moving out of New York City to upstate New York. And so this confluence of events caused this um, like living hell for me. But what I discovered was a bunch of techniques that helped me rewire my brain, helped me rewire my thinking and my paradigm and the way that I approached life and totally liberated me in the process. And I hired a purpose coach and it became really clear that I was here to help other people live their purpose too, like really live their, um, be able to offer their gifts and talents and their passions and create their own destiny. And mm -hmm. I became a business coach. And in the beginning, I helped people actualize their purpose and move often from corporate to entrepreneurship. And I created a six-figure you know, coaching business my first year. And as I became more successful, I wanted to work with more and more successful people who were a little further along in the journey. And ultimately, that's, that's what led me to what I do now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's quite a story. And uh, yeah, interesting set of events. And the, the whole, you know, it's interesting, the whole lawyer thing, first of all, that I've talked to a lot of lawyers lately for some reason on the podcast, not just, I don't have a lot of legal problems at the moment, but <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> but um, there's, there's kind of this common thread of a kind of a disgruntled thing sometimes with lawyers. And uh, when you say the, the thing about your parents, um, it sounds like they, they pushed you a lot as a kid. I, I'm not trying to pry because this isn't all yes. about all that. But Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't mind talking about it, but that's true. Yes. Parent, yes. Parents who, who... Yeah, so they... I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying parents who, who would kind of push their kid to be a lawyer would probably kind of be uh, that kind of parent, kind of overachiever. Because kind of, being a lawyer is not, you know, it's not simple business. It's, it's a, lot of, uh, a lot of work and a lot of paperwork and then... Uh, dedication, law school, taking the bar, all that stuff. But talk to me. What? What? And we'll get into this other too, because I really want to get into all this. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with this whole lawyer journey. I didn't come from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, my parents. It's funny. I think that they saw something in me that they weren't able to attain in their own lives, and mm. they rode me a lot. Like, you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank, I got punished when I didn't get A's. So, you know, they wow. did really ride that road with me in my childhood, where they just pushed me to excel all the time. Yeah. And it really wasn't, given who I am as a person, it wasn't really productive. Like, I would have been preferred to have been motivated in other ways other than I was, because it made me rebel against pushing myself harder. Like I wasn't as self-motivated because I felt all of this pressure to perform. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of my earlier life was really designed for my parents' approval yeah. because I felt like nothing I ever did was really good enough. And, and I experienced this so much in High Achievers, Phil, where, <clears throat> you know, especially people who have created radical success in their life, that when you underscore it, I, I had this one client and she had a mid six-figure business and she had corporate clients, you know, contracts, you know, from, you know, 50 to $90,000 contracts were her average contracts. Mm -hmm. And she came to me and we started working together. And when I first met her, as I said, she had this, you know, mid six-figure, you know, practice. And then 
after uh, her parents both died within six months of each other the year before, and her business completely dried up. Now, most people would look at that and say, okay, well, her business dried up because her parents died and there was so much trauma that she was experiencing. Her business dried up because her whole entire life, her entire why was to prove herself to her parents. And then when her parents disappeared, she no longer had the why that was driving her business. And she was lost. She was completely lost. And when we realigned her with her why, with why is she really doing what she's doing? What is she really passionate about? Within two months, she signed three mid five figure clients again. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's amazing that so many high achievers really achieve to prove themselves to others, not because, yeah, they're driven, but oftentimes the, the, the drive is almost misplaced. Yeah, that's, boy, that makes a ton of sense. And thank you for opening up. I'm sorry, putting you on the spot, making you a little vulnerable. Uh, these, they, like you say, a lot of these stories are, are common. There's, you know, little caveats, individual cases, but yeah, there's a lot of this kind of stuff that goes on. And uh, sometimes parents don't know better and or they're, they're uh, projecting their own whatever out of their life, insecurities or whatever with their parents and on and on and on. But uh, Absolutely. it sounds like you turned out all right, for, to say the least. And also- <laughs> Thank you. This whole thing, because it's interesting, this parallel as we jump into what you do now. Early on, you just said that you wanted to be a clinical psychologist, and now you're working helping people yes. find their purpose and, uh, and uh, you know, find the success, joy, alignment in their life and business. Was there anything to all that as we go, as we've now fast forward, but um, what was it? Is there anything you can pinpoint that, that gravitated you personally towards wanting to be a clinical psychologist, first of all? I think that I've always had this desire. Yeah, it is because I'm, you know, going back then, it would be hard for me to remember exactly what was driving me, but I've always really desired to be of service to others, really wanting to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, I have felt like even when I was a lawyer, there was a period of time when I was a lawyer and I hung out my own shingle and my card said counselor at law. They didn't say attorney at law. Because I did, I did business coaching from a lot of my clients. You know, I, I talked to them about strategically growing, you know, their uh, careers uh, and how to have certain relationships with whether it be, you know, if they were artists, whether it be with their record labels or their managers or whatever. And I did a lot of that. I did a lot of handholding. So there's this theme that I have had, you know, for my entire life of really having this great desire to be of service and help people. And also, I think that, you know, one of my, my gifts, I would say my zones of genius, is being able to see the blocks that are holding people back, but also being able to see their potential. So helping them close that gap is like one of my greatest joys. And, and it seems like it's just been built in. It hasn't been something I've ever trained myself to do. I've always been able to do that. So I think that that was really the driver for me originally to, you know, to become a therapist. And, and ultimately, a lot of the work I do in some ways is therapeutic, but it's, it's using the vehicle. I, I don't really like to focus on the past. I want to focus on the present and the future and how people can really help scale their business, you know, scale their leadership and give their gifts to the world in, in so much fuller version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, great, great answer and explanation. And as, as we talk about you being of service, I think that's a common thing too. We, we people, I think at our core, there's some, I don't know, instinctual thing that we have that 
that for the most part, I think most of us want to be of service for whatever reason. We want to feel needed and wanted probably at some fundamental level. And then beyond that too, to have satisfaction of lifting uh, ourselves and others in the process. Um, so let's talk, I've been making notes about some of the stuff you say, because you have kind of some, uh, some real catchphrase things that, like you just said, zone of genius. And we talked earlier about being a paradigm shifter and uh, of course, living our purpose and, and people's blocks and their potential. Let's, let's unpack all this a little bit as to how this plays out or, or I don't know how you want to do that. Use an example. You could use me. <laughs> I'll be your guinea pig, but whatever you want to do, <laughs> I'm sure I've got blocks and maybe some potential. Somewhere, but how, how do we unpack this, this process? <laughs> Yeah, I could give um, you know, a couple of client uh, client stories maybe. So, so you know, okay, I, I'm going to give you a little history so that it makes sense in context because okay. the vast majority of our belief system has literally been wired in our brain. Like you've created neural synaptic connections, neural highways in your brain that are these belief systems, and most of that was created from the time we were in utero till seven years old. And so what happens is you have this part of your brain called the reticular activating system. And what it does is it goes in search of evidence where, you, you know, where your beliefs are true. I mean, one of the things that it's really designed to do is to filter out stimuli because our, our senses have the ability to take in so much stimuli that if it allowed in all the stimuli, we'd literally be unable to function. There'd be so much stimuli, it'd be so overwhelming that this part of our brain has to you know, filter out the stimuli. And what it filters in is that which it believes it's, is important to us, which is based on our belief system. So for example, if you've ever gotten a new car and then all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere on the road, it's not like people just went out and bought that car. It's just that now your reticular activating system is spotting it. And so if you have a belief, for example, that I'm not good enough, and you're not even aware that you have the belief that I'm not good enough, that, that RAS, the ROS, will go in search of all the experiences and people who can prove that to be true. So you'll have a whole bunch of failures, maybe, or a whole bunch of experience, failed relationships, failed parts of your businesses, things, results you were trying to achieve that you don't get to achieve. Mm -hmm. And and you'll end up feeling like, I'm not good enough. So you end up building up this pattern of I'm not good enough and then reinforcing it with evidence. And now you have all of these neural highways in your brain that keep going on repeat, showing you you where you're not good enough in your life and giving you results that show you that you're not good enough. And unless we change that, I mean, what, that's what most mindset work focuses on. It focuses on the belief system. But for me, I take that a step further and focus on your state of being. And so your state of being is comprised of both your thoughts and your emotions. Mm-hmm. And when we actually shift our emotions, so from a quantum physics perspective, the thoughts that we have is the broadcast out of the signal to the universe. And our emotions are the magnet that draws back to us the experiences in our lives. And when we up-level our state of being, when we change our habits, when we start to be the person who has a successful business, and one of the examples I like to use is if you're a $100,000 a year earner, but you want to be a $100,000 a month earner, 
does the person who's $100,000 a year act the same as the person who's $100,000 a month? No. Mm-hmm. You know, they have different habits. They have different ways of thinking. They have different approaches to solutions. So, you know, they, they operate at a very different level. And when you can step and when you can step into, I'm sorry, when you can step into mm-hmm. being that $100,000 a month earner, all of a sudden the synchronicity starts showing up, resources start showing up, and then us focusing on the strategic portion of what needs to happen, whether it's a shift in leadership, whether it's some strategy or marketing that needs to be tweaked, you know, whatever it is, <clears throat> you know, some business foundational principle that needs to be dialed in a little more, then, then that becomes a four millimeter distinction. There isn't a lot of heavy lifting that needs to happen at that point. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. A lot of it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's, it reminds me of a, uh, a quote, and I don't remember off the top of my head who said it, but they said, you don't get what you want, you do get what you are. And uh, yes. it's really important. I, it might have been a Zig Ziglar or my, you know, one of these guys, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't matter so much who it came from. What matters is the truth. Like you said, you gravitate towards truth, and that's true. That's what our podcast is, is trying to establish as well. Um, it's it's real interesting because you talk about uh, like early on you were saying the thing about people not feeling good enough and then looking for all the reasons possible to justify that that mindset that they for lack of a better term that they cling to. Um, is there yes. do you have any? Can we shed any light on why people would want why we would cling to things that are disempowering like that? Uh, because at, underneath it all, we've got to know. Okay, I'm disempowering myself. I'm limiting my potential. Um, I don't know. A combination of fear. What what is it that makes people cling to that stuff where we're not just constantly seeing? Oh, how can I do better? Be better. Uh, we're yes. getting these little cycles. Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, if you think about it, let's look at an iceberg, for example, and what's above the water is, say, your conscious mind. And your conscious mind really only controls about 5% of what you do, 5% of your actions. What really controls most of your actions, the other 95% is what's submerged below the water that you can't see, which is so much bigger piece of the iceberg, which is your subconscious mind. And so all these beliefs have been unwittingly, unknowingly embedded in your subconscious mind. They're not conscious. You're not, it's not your intention to hold on to them. And most people aren't even aware that they exist. They're not even aware that they're running the show, like literally running their show. And so the the other thing is that, you know, ancestrally, biologically, we've been programmed for a certain amount of negativity bias. We've been programmed to focus on what's not working because when we stepped out of our caves, you know, we had to look for what was not in place to make sure we didn't get eaten. And so we were always focusing on what was wrong rather than what was on right, oh, that rather than what was right. And that yeah. part of our critter brain hasn't evolved very much since, you know, since those days, since those cave days. And so we still have this negativity bias until you train yourself out of it. So because the subconscious mind, you know, is where all of this stuff is contained and most people aren't aware that it's driving the show and the number one desire of humans is not for survival, it's actually for familiarity because repeating the familiar over and over and over again means you're safe. We've got, it's like, 
all of our experiences, all of the people we've met, the situations we've been in are stored in our brain like a database. And so when you go to break out and do something new, like you're really excited to grow your business, you want to do something new, your brain will go in search of the database and figure out like, where have I done this before? How did I do this? How did did I survive doing this? (laughs) And when your brain can't come up with the how, because it isn't in the database, because it's, it's completely new, then your body tends to go into fight flight or freeze because you can't figure out the how. The how is not in the database. The how is in your discomfort zone, right? And so everything that we want is outside of our comfort zone. So as a result of that, your, your ego will try to keep you in the familiar. So a lot of the work that I help people do is, is get more comfortable being out of their comfort zone, you know, leveling up to the people that they would be if they had that successful business, and then looking at what in your business actually needs to change. Is it a skill you need to up-level? Is it a marketing that needs to shift? Is it literally just being a different person? I have seen so many examples where just being a different person, all the strategies that they were implementing that didn't work, all of a sudden started to work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you explained things very, very well. So I commend you on that. Uh, A plus Thank so you. far. <laughs> it is finals week. My son in sixth grade. So I'm giving you an A plus. Let's continue though. <laughs> <Thank Yeah>. um, <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, but as we talk about this stuff, Elena, it's, uh, you may, we talked earlier, we kind of brushed over the concept of paradigms. And the first time I heard the word paradigms was from our friend, Stephen Covey. God rest his soul. He's no longer with us. But uh, he was talking a lot about that in the seven habits. And, and everyone, it kind of became this catch term, like being proactive, one of his habits and stuff. <laughs> Some of these words. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about paradigms. What, first of all, what is a paradigm? And you talk about our brain and how it's evolved and whatnot over time. How can we, because uh, in theory, it sounds like what we're talking about is, is kind of forces, forcing ourselves to shift some of these thought processes, these paradigms, if you will. Let's talk about paradigms. What, what are your insights? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's one of my favorite entrepreneurial books, um, because Me from too. a very different perspective, we actually talk about the same thing. So yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there, Phil. Good, good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, essentially what your paradigm is, is, is the way, is your perception of you and the world. Mm-hmm. That really is your paradigm. I mean, you know, to cut to the chase, it's really how you view yourself and how you view the world. And a lot of people have, you know, like, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm sure you are, with the idea of a fixed mindset versus, you know, um, uh, oh my God, my mind just went completely blank. Growth but mindset. a fixed mindset. Thank you. A fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And yeah. when we have a paradigm, we tend to see things a certain way and believe this is just the way it is and we can't shift it. Right. right? That's a fixed mindset. The growth mindset is, okay, this is how I am, but what's possible? What can I change? How can I shift it? How can I grow? How can I make that work for me? Right. right. This it's not, who I am is not written in stone. Who I am is changeable. And so um, what ends up happening is people take on a certain paradigm of seeing themselves a certain way and seeing life a certain way. And for example, one of the things that my clients end up really owning is that, you know, so many people feel victim to life, like 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 life is happening to them. 
and they don't realize that life is actually happening for them. And when we can look at how is life happening for us, how is the universe working for us, it actually allows us to see the lesson in certain things or where it's redirecting us to something better rather than seeing it as it, us being the victim of it. Yeah. And it's a much more empowering state of being, right? Yeah. So, so being able to shift your paradigm to a more empowered state, really, not only like, because so many entrepreneurs I work with, you know, they're real go-getters, they're high achievers, they tend to push, 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 hustle, 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 do, do, do. And it's often at the cost of their health, their relationships, and, and having satisfaction and fulfillment in their life. And so being able to shift your paradigm allows you to be able to scale your business, actually work significantly less, have better quality of relationships, have better health and enjoyment and satisfaction of life. And like, who doesn't want that? Of course. You know? So, yeah. So it it allows for a completely different experience. And and the one thing I want to say about that is that we are literally addicted to our habits. So from a physiological, from a biological perspective, you know, a lot of people live in stress a lot of the time. And the, when you're in stress, your body releases these stress hormones, these hormones of stress, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, et cetera. And the body is literally addicted to that. So the, the thoughts that create the feelings that you have when those, emo- when those chemicals get released, like your body tries to have you keep repeating that same thing again and again and again so it can get another hit of those chemicals. It's like an addict trying to get another hit of the drug. So it will try to keep you repeating the same patterns over and over and over again so it can keep getting another release of those chemicals. And so you really have to work with changing the habits that we're addicted to to create new habits to create new thoughts, to create new emotions so that we can have a different experience. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful, powerful stuff right there. That alone is worth priceless, <laughs> priceless material. And that's, Thank and you. it's so, and I love stuff that's universal. That's so universal for us as human beings. Um, it, like when we talk about a paradigm, it reminds me of uh, a leader in my life a long time ago, taught about the term belief window, which it sounds like it's just a synonym for paradigm. It's, it's the window through which we see the world. We're all looking at the same thing, uh, but it, it can color. It's like, I think of it kind of like Instagram. Now people put filters on their picture and it kind of changes the feel of a picture. Yes. It could be black and white. It could be yes. sepia or whatever, all these various little things or just straight up color or whatever. And so, uh, and, and a friend of mine who does a podcast was talking recently about problems and solutions. And at the very same time, you can shift that. And instead of focusing on problems, focus on the solutions, focus on the, the upswing instead of, oh, I'm just wallowing in the problems. Uh, yes. so, so just to be clear, Elena, when we talk about paradigm, is it based on what you were saying, it kind of raised this question in my mind, is paradigm one thing for each person or is it like multiple paradigms? I have a paradigm surrounding cats and a paradigm surrounding uh, <laughs> family life or is it just, I just have, I have one paradigm and it's, it encompasses all of that. That's a great question. I've never been asked that question before. So, <laughs> um, you know, I would say different people, like if you look at certain people, for example, there are certain people and entrepreneurs who will have money issues, money mindset issues, right? So they have a paradigm around money where there'll be other 
um, entrepreneurs who can make money like it's nothing, you know, mm -hmm. that they over and over and over again that they can make money. Money's not their issue, but they may have relational issues or things like that, or they may never feel the satisfaction of their achievement. So that might be their paradigm of just thinking, okay, if I chase the next achievement, if I finally achieve that, then I'll finally feel satisfied, but it never happens. Right. So I do think that there are different paradigms in different parts of our lives. Like you can have a relational paradigm, you can have a health paradigm, you can have a business paradigm. They all make up who you are, but they're different views. You may have different views of how you view each of those specific areas of life. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, when we talk about shifting paradigms, which is the common word that accompanies that in sentences, well, we're going to shift a paradigm or it's a paradigm shift. Uh, and then how does that tie in? Because earlier you used the term uh, living one's purpose and talking about yourself and your clients. Um, is, does, is that tie in and how does one uh, go about shifting a paradigm, hopefully for the better? Because they can shift either direction, right? <laughs> They can, for sure, they can, yeah. Well, <clears throat> speaking to purpose first, you know, what's, what's fascinating to me, what's been my experience and my experience of working with my clients and just talking to quite a bit of people on LinkedIn uh, all the time yeah. is that, you know, when people are not aligned with their purpose, there's this level of discontent that gnaws at them that they can feel. That it's just like no matter how much success they have, there's just something that's not right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't ever seem to go away no matter how they try to fill that hole. And so what I experience is when people are aligned with their purpose, then they're able to create uh, just exponential um, not only just success, but a lifestyle that's joyous, relationships that are joyous, experiences that are joyous. It, it's, it's a growth space from there. But you can be living your purpose and still have a paradigm that focuses on what's not working. Yep. Right. So, so they're not necessary just because you're aligned, just because you're living your purpose doesn't mean you're necessarily going to achieve the level of success that's possible for you because it, you could have a scarcity mindset. You know, so many mm. of us like this country, you know, this country in particular, I mean, it's all over the world, but this country in particular really talks about, Oh, you'll, you should have this to be happy. You should have that to be happy. Right. So yeah. we all have the scarcity mindset yeah. of believing we don't actually, have enough. Even, even millionaires and billionaires, I mean, part of the reason they chase more money is because they believe they don't have enough. And, and if it's only, if it's really finite, then if I don't keep accumulating more, then what happens if I lose it, right? That's just a total scarcity mindset. The more, 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 more. Now, at the same time that I say that, the universe is constantly expanding. We're constantly expanding. And as humans, we are also expanding. And so there's some deeper sense of us that wants to experience more. But the experience of more is different than the ego, the ego wanting more. You know, mm -hmm. that like I'll finally be happy when I experience this is more of an egoic want than, than, you know, that inner, that higher self part of you wanting to just expand and experience more life. Yeah. You know, so, so when you can align your energy with your vision, with your why, and with your purpose, and then take consistent action, then your paradigm absolutely does shift and success becomes inevitable. Yeah. 
Beautiful, beautiful. I, and when you talk about the universe expanding and stuff, I heard someone some time ago, uh, I probably read it on a meme or something that said, we are not in the universe, we are the universe. And I, and I thought that's, that's, that's a really profound, and it's also true, yes. And, uh, and so it occurs to me that we have to get to know the universe, which seems like such a broad, maybe even hokey thing to say, but uh, how the universe functions in terms of the universe demands balance, the universe demands truth uh, in some capacity. Uh, we can dig in, we're not going to too much unless you want to, but that's it, just, I wanted to point out that thought as well. And, and as you use the word alignment, some, some of our audience knows that in the past I've talked about, someone taught me some time ago, the word joy in Hebrew and other places literally refers to an alignment. And uh, so I thought that's mm. alignment. How do we find alignment? Because it's all fine and good to talk about the concept and make us feel warm and fuzzy of, oh yeah, we find that and then we'll find joy. But the, kind of the nitty gritty and maybe the difficult process is actually doing it. <laughs> how, how in fact do we yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, Finding that's purpose. a great question. And, yeah, you know, it's all an inside job. And, and that's really the key is like, we keep looking for things external to ourselves you know, to, to find alignment, to um, experience happiness, to, um, you know, if my partner is acting this way, then I can't be happy. It's like we're all looking for the externals to, to really bring joy and make us happiness, where it's a total inside job. And when we really focus on, you know, like, you can't have financial freedom until you feel financially free first. Because even if you create a profitable business, you'll always be chasing more. It's like we were talking just a second ago about millionaires and billionaires who still want more. It's that scarcity mindset. When you create freedom internally first, then all of a sudden you start experiencing freedom in your external world. So it's a cause and effect and we've got it backwards. We keep thinking that the circumstances outside of us cause us to feel a certain way, but it's how we feel inside that cause the shape of our destiny that caused the shape of our, our environment and our circumstances. Yeah. So really focusing internally, making it an inside job for your own happiness, for your own satisfaction, regardless of what the circumstances look like. You're not waiting for something to happen to finally be happy. You're cultivating that happiness inside of yourself. You're not waiting for something to happen in your life to feel free. You're cultivating that freedom inside of yourself. And then when you can do cultivate all of the things that you're looking for externally first then again as i said before it's inevitable that they show up in your external environment mm. that's a really powerful statement and i've heard that and i've experienced some of that in my life um i've probably experienced more than i'm than i'm conscious of and it's interesting when you talk about the subconscious mind earlier and the iceberg kind of analogy you know, there's an old book i think from the 60s called the power of the subconscious mind i forget the name of that author but uh, <laughs> um what insights do we have in the subconscious mind? Because it's like, I for one, and I think a lot of us as human beings kind of feel like, well, what can I control about my subconscious mind? I mean, the fact that our heart continues beating and all that, that's all a function of the subconscious mind, which is, I think, a pretty yes. powerful yes. Uh, statement. Just the, the, what, what sustains our physical life here is, comes from our subconscious mind. So I think it, it underscores just how powerful that is on a much broader scale. What, do you have any other deeper insights on the subconscious mind and or tapping in there to like rewire <laughs> the, the unhealthy, undesired parts of it? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it is, the autonomic nervous system is completely run by the subconscious mind. Yeah. And actually, you know, when we tap into the subconscious mind in a deeper way and really tap into the autonomic nervous system, it creates radical self-healing because the body actually knows what to do. It's just that we need to get out of the way. And so part of that, you know, there, I mean, there are practices that definitely help people access the subconscious mind, but ultimately, and, and you know, this isn't, this isn't a plug, although I'm happy to plug myself because whether you work with me or somebody else, like work with somebody who really understands how the subconscious mind works and how can help you see how what you're doing specifically, what your beliefs and blocks are specifically, because I can talk in generalities, but this is one where I mean, yeah, I think that we all have some form of I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. and not feeling worthy or deserving. Like we all have some form of that and it all manifests in different ways. But where it came from, the exact experience that it came from and how it manifests in our life is all very different for each person. Yeah. So, so having somebody who can tap into that, because I don't believe you can read the label from inside the jar. So even if you're trying to, you know, I do so much of this work myself, but I always have a coach because there are just certain blind spots that I cannot see myself. And I also create, you know, I have masterminds so that people can reflect things back to me that I don't see about how I'm showing up and what I'm doing because I'm always interested in up-leveling myself, always interested in that. Yeah. So, so there are practices that help do it, but I find that most people don't really get deep, deep, deep into that place on, um, by, on, you know, doing it by themselves, that it really is helpful to have some, some assistance doing that. And, you know, I'm not bashing therapy because I think therapy can really help a lot, but most therapy focuses on the past. It doesn't focus on the present and making sure that your future isn't the predictable past. Yeah. Okay. So, so working with a coach really helps somebody like a coach who's, who really can do that will really help. Yeah. And I can see where you are a real valuable coach to your clients as well. And it's interesting too, because you know, I've known some coaches, uh, especially in the last few years, and a lot of coaches have coaches. <laughs> uh, it takes from what yes. you're describing, that yes. takes a lot of courage to be, to be able to have someone and be open to that they might point some things out that might, uh, you might not have noticed but to, to be doing it in the right way that it's not, uh, you know, I'm not beating myself up and they're not beating me up, but this is for me to get better. So it's like thinking from a higher level instead of, oh, what's going to make me look or feel bad, but how can I be the best I can be? Yes. But it, it got to take a lot of courage, yes, doesn't yes. it? <laughs> To take it on does. It does. And, and I love that you said that because like I just got off the phone before you with one of my clients and we were, I was talking to her about becoming the witness and observing like a certain pattern that was coming up for her. Mm -hmm. So we identified the pattern and then I was talking to her about observing it without judgment and even making a game of it where every time she noticed she did it laughing about it and going, huh, there it is again. Isn't that funny? Rather than going, oh my God, I can't believe I keep doing this. What's wrong with me? Which is what she was saying before that. And all that does is embed it deeper and deeper and deeper to get the subconscious mind. You know, it goes over again, that neural highway, you know, thickening the mylean sheets of those neurons, making it deeper groove in your brain. Mm -hmm. So, so self-judgment, you know, like treat yourself as, as your best friend, you know, you would treat your best friend. 
You know, it's talk to yourself like you would your best friend. Have compassion on yourself for where you are like you would your best friend. And that's a huge way to start shifting some of that, you know, those patterns. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful stuff. I think it's real hard in my experience uh, with people and myself to, to, to make yourself your best friend too. Um, I don't know what it is. Society in general, at least up to this point, has kind of trained us to, to constantly be, the, like you mentioned earlier about this external stuff, being conscious of the external and yes. being self-conscious because of the external and, and then not take, and yes. it's, it's things as simple as getting enough sleep or once in a while get a massage or take care of yourself. Um, it's interesting. How does one make oneself their best friend? And, and I think I kind of know the answer from my own experience that you like to get more confidence. I've read and heard and learned that, that you actually have to force yourself out of this comfort zone. You have to do something that quote unquote would impress yourself, impress yourself by doing things mm-hmm. you might not normally do. And you gain courage, maybe take care of yourself and actively choose to love yourself. And that maybe that makes us our best friend. What insights do you have? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Another great question. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm going to use a really simple example. You know, we're coming up to the new year and yeah. a lot of people tend to make health resolutions at the new year. Right. And 85% of resolutions are never kept. So yeah. what happens is you say, you set a goal. I'm going to work out regularly. Let's say you set a goal. I want to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you find yourself not working out. You know, you're not really eating that well. You're not getting as much sleep as you should. And you ha- maybe you've even gained a pound. You haven't even lost any weight. <laughs> what happens is there, you've got a huge integrity gap. So the integrity gap comes from saying that you're going to, like, what are your values, right? So your values are your health. Your values are losing 10 pounds so that you can stay fit and healthy and enjoy your life more. And yet your behavior, and I'm going to use that word again, is not in alignment with your values. And when your behavior is not in alignment, you're doing different things than than what's going to move that goal forward. Then you have this huge integrity gap. And when we start to create integrity gaps, the bigger the integrity gap, the more difficulty we have really supporting ourselves in that. So one of the ways that I I look at people, I mean, there's a a whole bunch of self-love techniques that I will do with people, not the least of which is helping them see, helping from, from, there's a difference between intellectual understanding and experiential understanding. So people can understand what I'm saying um, from an intellectual sense, but the application of it is what creates transformation. The, taking the information, applying it is what creates the transformation, not just knowing it. Because if it's not showing up in your life, if you're not doing it, then you don't really know it. You don't really have that experiential knowing of it. So, so ultimately, there are a variety of self-love techniques. I mean, I'll give you one that's super simple um, that, you know, some of my clients hate me when I give this to them, but it's a 30-day technique where I'll have them look at their left eye for like a couple minutes a day in the mirror and say three new things every day that they appreciate about themselves. Now, for Mm. people who have more, um, you know, they may be at different ends of the spectrum. For a lot of people, that's super challenging for them to do, but yet is a a real game changer for people. 
So that's just one simple technique that I will have. And, and, you know, I've got tons up my sleeve, but one simple technique. And then I'll show, you know, we'll look at where their belief systems are. I'll teach them how to cognitively shift those beliefs, accumulate different evidence of where that's true. So the things that they were believing about themselves, now they start, you know, it's not just an affirmation because affirmations don't really work. Some people will say, if you repeat them enough, they will actually get into the subconscious mind. But in the beginning, at least for a long time, what will happen with an affirmation is that you'll say, I really can do this. But your subconscious mind goes, no, you can't. You haven't done it yet. What makes you think you can do it? Mm. So now all of a sudden you're working across purposes because you're triggering that part of the brain that's going, wait a minute, you really can't do this and driving that groove in deeper. So, so by, you know, doing, um, you know, providing evidence of, of where it's true, people can then take that affirmation and actually rewire the brain, rewire the thinking, literally prune those old neurosynaptic connections and create new neurosynaptic connections that are far more impactful. Powering. And that's part of the way that I help my clients by helping them rewire their brain, rewire their thinking, rewire the way that they're feeling, have more gratitude for their life, start looking at where things are going right for them in their lives. Like all of those things combined really move the dial forward in a big way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, that's really important to, to point out in the sense of it's a process. It's not, we're so used to, I've been talking to a lot of people lately about this instant gratification society we've built, at least on the surface externally mm-hmm. with here's Netflix and smartphones and, and the internet that's super fast and all this stuff we can just do and grab just about anything almost instantaneously. Uh, but working on ourselves is a lifelong process and we can, just constantly be moving forward. Hopefully we speed up that process as best we can. But, and what you're saying too, reminds me, um, you know, I used to listen a lot to Zig, Zig Ziglar. And, uh, Mm. and this was back when it was not, no smartphones, you know, Zig's no longer with us, but um, he used to give out cards to his audiences that had a bunch of affirmations just at least to get them started. And he'd say, you do this. And he would read it sometimes to his audience because I used to listen to recordings and stuff of Zig. And uh, you'll be, you may be shocked in six months what happens in your life by doing this because it's all empowering statements about yourself, about being attractive and being financially well and all these things. Um, So I, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is I second everything you said and and so does Zig. Um, (laughs) But um, <laughs> Can we talk real quick about scarcity? We, we touched on a little bit earlier. If it's okay to dig in more, yeah, for sure. Um, and for me personally, I think a lot of people, it's something I've struggled with. And uh, you know, I grew up with a single dad situation and uh, all boys kind of thing, brothers and my dad. So not a lot of a female influence. And my dad was broke dealt with depression. He wouldn't be upset with me explaining some of this. Love you, dad, if you're listening. Uh, But some of that instilled some scarcity with me. Uh, And other people have their own version of some of that, of whatever happens in their life. First of all, what does scarcity come from? And then how do we break it? Because I think it's abundantly clear, no pun intended, that the universe uh, provides (laughs) abundance, (laughs) doesn't it? But we we get gotten the scarcity rut. Yes. Talk to me about it. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and it's, it's great that you're aware of where it showed up in your own life, because, you know, the awareness of that is, is the first step in really shifting it and seeing how it shows up in your life now. And, you know, ultimately, um, 
scarcity comes from a place of feeling like there isn't enough. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have time scarcity. There's not enough time. You know, yeah. they wake up in the morning, they rush to, to get to work or to, um, you know, to start working if they work for themselves. Um, and, you know, then they feel like maybe they have to take care of their kids. They've got to, you know, um, get food on the table, go shopping, do all of these other things. Then by the time they get to the night and they go to bed, they feel like they haven't gotten as much done as they should have gotten done. And they feel like there's never enough time, time scarcity, yeah. right? And living that time scarcity day in and day out just creates more and more time scarcity. It just, it just again, you're just repeating. It, it's like, you know, Groundhog Day. You're just repeating the same day over and over again, maybe slightly different, but essentially the same thing, but expecting <laughs> a different result, which yeah. Einstein said is the definition of insanity. So, yeah. you know, in terms of money scarcity, it's so ingrained in our culture, you know, money scarcity, particularly since the 70s when you know credit showed up with the idea that oh you don't really have enough and so you can now actually get credit so that you can have more <laughs> before you actually have the money to have it right you know and that really showed up big time in the 70s and so i'm not going to say that scarcity didn't exist before but it was definitely hyper created after that of the idea of like don't actually you know that instant gratification society you were talking about of like no 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 don't wait to you actually have the money to pay for it, go into debt and have it now because you need it that badly. You can't be without it. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a whole societal culture built around the idea of you're not enough unless you have more. Hmm. And, and at a very deep level, it makes us believe we are not enough. We are not enough. And when we continue to, you know, that, that comes out in a variety of different ways. Maybe people actually do create enough wealth, but then they never believe they have enough. So they're constantly chasing it and always afraid they're going to lose it. Maybe it's people who are living paycheck to paycheck who feel like they'll never get past that. I mean, it's opposite ends of the spectrum, but ultimately, you know, feeling satisfied and fulfilled has nothing to do with what's in our bank account. And we've equated you know, feeling satisfied and fulfilled with what's in our bank account. So many of us have equated our self-worth based on our net worth. Mm. Yeah, that's really a deep principle because I've noticed a lot, both for me personally and others, that like you mentioned earlier, this imposter syndrome, like, yes, yeah, some people can be rich and have abundance of some sort in their life, but that's not for me. And that's, that's not for my family. And, you know, some of us, mm -hmm. I guess all of us come because our families have passed through the, like the depression era and stuff. There's some of that passed down between parents and grandparents and stuff. There, there's some of that uh, as well, but uh, it, it's, yeah, it's, for sure. yeah mm -hmm. it's an interesting topic. Um, but it, it occurs to me too, what you were telling me before, before we got started about the 20, the, kind of the 80, 20 principle in business about 20% uh, strategy and 80% kind of psychology. Um, Let's talk more yes. about that. Maybe as we get ready to wrap up here, what is, uh, talk to me about that principle, the 80 20 as it concerns, you know, strategy and psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's this idea in coaching 
that, you know, um, 80% of your success comes from your psychology. I would say even comes from your state of being, who you're being. And 20% are the tactics, the mechanics, the, the, the strategy, what you're actually executing on. Now, they both go hand in hand. You can't really have one and be an effective, um, you know, entrepreneur, intrapreneur without it. But at the same token, so many people focus most of their energies and most business coaches focus most of their energies on the 20%. Now, I have had um, or am in the process of creating a bunch of collaborations with certain business coaches who do the tactical pieces, but they've realized that they can't get their clients to execute on them mm. or they're not executing successfully. And the reason is everything we've just been talking about for this last period of time. So, so those strategies are really important. And I don't believe, you know, a, a lot of coaches will sell a one size fits all strategy. This is what worked for me. And therefore I believe this is what'll work for everybody. I don't believe that, you know, we're all like snowflakes. We're all unique. We all have, you know, different, different strengths, different weaknesses. Um, we all have different businesses. We're not the same. And so I don't believe there is a one size fits all strategy. So when I look at people's businesses, I look at what works for you and your audience, you know, what works for what you're trying to do to get your message across. There are principles that are consistent across the board, but the application of those principles are very different depending on who the person is, what their business is, what they're up to in the world, and how big they want to grow their business. So, so many people really take the, the approach that it's really all about strategy, that if I only shift this strategy, if I only do this marketing, if I only do this branding or this messaging, then finally I'll be successful. And, yeah. and they may get a bump in, you know, in their success as a result of that, but it'll be relatively marginal until they shift the other piece. And, yeah. and again, I said this earlier, but the, I've seen the reverse true, which is people not shift their strategies at all and just change who they're being. And then all of a sudden, the strategies that they were using already work. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really fascinating. You talk about so much stuff and, you know, going back to the iceberg analogy, I think as a whole of this vast topic, I think we've probably just touched, if at best, the tip of the iceberg. People can get in touch with you. You have a website, uh, elenaschwartz.com, which is A-L-A-I-N-A, -A -A, N is a Nancy A, uh, elenaschwartz.com, right? And also- Yes, that's correct. You wanted to offer something to our listeners. You want to talk about that? I would love to. Thank you, Phil. So, yeah. So for five listeners who want to, I, uh, you know, there'll be a link in the notes where you can sign up for a 30 minute free, no pitch, absolutely no pitch, just to be of service and value clarity call with me, where we can look at what you need to be focusing on and what are the next steps to move your business forward, to scale your business. So for, for five people, the first five people who will book in with that link, I am happy to provide that, that value and see how I can support you. Okay. And that's a beautiful, very, very generous thing. And as we come off this year that's been so difficult for just about all of us in all kinds of ways and very similar ways, um, appreciate that act of service as well. 2021 is going to knock you. our socks off in a good way. And uh, appreciate your contribution to those, those lucky five who grabbed that. Um, <laughs> well, Elena, thank, thank you, you so much. So many beautiful things and principles and uh, very articulate and to the point and uh, for, at least in my estimation, very clear principles. So I, can, I can't thank you enough <laughs> for joining us today. And uh, to our audience, of course. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been a real honor. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's our honor. The pleasure is ours, of course. And uh, again, to our audience, uh, we're grateful you spend time with us. We're always flattered for those who do. And uh, till next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.